This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Tonight we are in Brentford. Welcome to Besotted Question Time. Tonight's panel, Dave Laney Lane, otherwise known as Dave Garn of Ashford, he's the man with the electronic plan. Martin the Dutchman Holland made a very early call to very cleverly masquerade as a European to beat the visa checks. And myself, Billy the B Grant, currently with, as they say, a complete mix-up mix-up with a bit of Brazilian, Guyanese, Jamaican, Portuguese, African, British and who knows what else in me. I'll be looking at the Dutchman to borrow one of his spare visas in not the distant future. Plus we've got contributions from the Besotted Crew, Club Shop Am, GP Gary Paul, Liberal Nick, Greville the Water Man, JB Jonathan Birchill, Dr Katie B Graham, Matt the Allard Allard, Will the Spreadsheet Winker, Ian the Westbrook, Liberal Tom Fiddler and Robin Hood. Welcome to our panel and welcome to the audience at home. You don't have to be here to take part. Thanks to all who sent their questions in to besotted1992 at gmail.com. We'll be hearing from you throughout the course of the show. Please like and review us on your favourite podcast platform. And if you want to support us, go to our Kofi page at besotted.com forward slash beer. So many thanks to all the listeners who have supported us today and big thank you all for listening. So what's this all about? I'm here with my chums and what we're going to do is we're going to discuss 10 subjects today with questions being asked by Brentford fans and answered by members of our esteemed panel. Lane, are you looking forward to this? That's a great intro, Bill. Well done, mate. That's, that's, that's impressive. I'm almost impressive as your, your, your mongrel lineage there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, any, any update on the old DNA? 
from, from no, last no, time. No, no, I'll give you an update on the DNA. Um, you've done, in, the old, you've done, done the spittle? Ah, the spittle's been done. It's done, Van. It's gone back there, like I said to you, and like I said, the Brazilian, the African, all that lot. It's going to be coming back in the next few weeks. So well, I'm looking forward to that. Are you? Yeah, I am. I can't wait, mate. And I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This is a nice, nice variation. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think hopefully it'll work. So well done, Bill. Hopefully it will work. We've been working on this for, for quite a few weeks now. And I just thought to myself, there's only so many times that we can actually discuss how uh, you know, Mads Beck Sorensen can or cannot play at left back. And Ivan Tony, if he's got the XG, is it higher or lower in the middle? I just thought this is too much. So let's just go and do something else. So put this together, a lot of fun. I'll tell you something. The one thing about it is that the reactions that I got, put it out there. We didn't put a big one out there because we thought, let's just do a pilot show and let's just throw it out there to see if anyone wants answers questions. The honest truth, we've got enough questions for four of these. So if you like it, give us a big thumbs up. Send us a review, send us a little note if you really like it, and then we'll knock out the other ones as well So, which is in the next few weeks, which is all good. The Dutchman, how are you? I'm very well, Billy, and very excited. I've never been part of an esteemed panel of anything before. Um, <laughs> and I can't really believe people are interested in our opinions on anything other than Mads Beck and uh, things like that. But it's good. But if you are solemnly promising that we won't be talking about XG... Uh, for the next couple of hours, I'm in and mad for it. Yeah, well, I can't solemnly promise about that as well, because like I said, our esteemed panel, it's up to them what they want to input. But anyway, listen, let's get stuck straight in. We're going to have the first question from Johnny Ross Tatum, Jimmy the Fish and Rob the Caveman, as they ask, has there been an element of papering the cracks in this Brentford squad? Hello, my name is Johnny Ross Tatum. I'm 27 years old and I've been going to Brentford Games with my dad and my brother since I was about four or five years old. I still believe we can get automatically promoted this year, but it's clear that we need a turnaround in our performances and results. We're clearly struggling with injuries and we're missing Rico and JDS, and it seems like we're finding it much more difficult to play out from the back as fluently as as we've previously done. Although Mads Beck has had a great season, I would put in Royce Levitt left back to give us some more attacking options on the left, I would put Ethan back in on the left side of central defence where he is most comfortable playing out from the back and I would give Fosu more game time given his form. So my question for you all is, what do you think Thomas Frank and his team should do to turn our form around for the final nine games of the season and why? And if we do make it to the Premier League, it is likely that we're going to need to strengthen our squad. I would say that this season has shown that we could do with some more depth in attacking midfield, on the wings and in the fullback positions if we're going to have a strong enough squad to stay in the Premier League. So my second question is, what areas of the pitch would you prioritise for strengthening if this team made it to the Premier League and why? Hi there, it's Jimmy the Fish here. Um, a Brentford fan since 1989, so I've certainly seen some good teams and some bad ones as well. And I can certainly say the last couple of years, this group of players are the best I've ever seen. Now let's talk about formations. Now I don't believe in a back three as no team has ever won anything with a back three but as we approach the the runner games to the end of the season um, I think there needs to be a bit of a change. Uh, At the moment we typically play with a with a six or in old money a holding midfielder and then two advanced from that player. Now I think we should be playing two holders in Vitali and Christian with a third midfielder made up of between Jensen to Silva or Goddard, 
What's your thoughts? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. My name is Rob the Caveman Walker. Now, the caveman bit comes from a time when I was a rower and my teammates used to call me the caveman, probably because I lacked a finesse, a bit of finesse, but uh, made up for that with uh, just raw power. I've been a Bees fan uh, 35, 36 years. My dad took me to my first ever game, which was the, uh, the Leyland Daff uh, Freight Rover Trophy final defeat against Wigan, 3-1. Uh, and I was hooked ever since for some unknown reason. <laughs> Probably because I'm some sort of masochist, like like we all are. Has the signing of Ivan Tony papered over some of the cracks which may or may not be lurking within the team? I personally feel that whilst we're still scoring a lot of goals this season, that's been down to the quality of Tony's finishing on very small XG uh, rated chances rather than the higher quality and higher volume of chances we were creating for our strikers last season. This season, we don't seem to be playing our high percentage possession-based game. Uh, we're going more direct up to the front three, uh, in particular Tony as target man. And whilst that was successful early on in the season, uh, pre-Barnsley, now more often than not, we seem to be kicking the ball aimlessly up front, uh, gifting the ball back to the opposition, and they're coming back, putting us under a lot of pressure and scoring their goals. Matt the Allard Allard here. Let's um, go through this one. There's, there's quite a lot to get through. Uh, let's start off. So Ivan Tony, um, I he's been excellent this season. There's no doubt about that. And um, yeah, I guess you could say he's papered over some of the cracks. Um, I also think he's probably, in some respects, caused some of the perceived cracks. I think with Tony, we go longer a lot. Um, the ball doesn't always stick to him, so it can come back. Um, so I, I think we've maybe become a little bit lazy and just gone for the long ball outlet at times, where, you know, potentially, well, certainly last season, we played through the midfield a lot more. We're not doing that so much this season. The, there are maybe two arguments. One is that is that actually because of Tony's strength, we don't need to do it. Uh, the other one is that actually we're not as good in midfield. So, yeah, I, I, you could take either of those. I I just think, though, that the turnovers and the ball coming back at us is quicker this season than it has been before. Uh, I, I don't look at the stats as much as some, but I'd be very surprised if possession this season um, is quite a bit down on last season. I think that's partly the reason for that. We're going to have to strengthen all over. I think what's become really clear this season is that we don't have a strong enough squad. We don't have an obvious replacement for Rico Henry. Um, that, that, that's clear. Uh, when we've played Force instead of Tony, it hasn't looked great. We seem to stick with the same tactic and it doesn't suit Force. And, and I think we need to find another player like Josh De Silva, somebody that can carry the ball from transition from a defence into attack, carry the ball with them. And the real player we're also missing, obviously, is that Ben Rama replacement, somebody with a little bit of magic, somebody that does something different, that sort of just talent that we don't quite seem to have in the team at the moment. The next two parts, I think, I think I'll take it in one. Uh, I, I hear you about three at the back. Uh, I don't think it's a strength of us this season, for sure. 
I don't think it's just teams don't win with three at the back. I mean, uh, Juventus have played three at the back, I think, and been relatively successful. Didn't Chelsea win the league uh, with Conte playing three at the back? And, of course, we saw Sheffield United in the championship a couple of years ago as well. So I, it's not as simple as that. However, I think if you are going to play three at the back, I think you need the right centre-backs to do it. And Brentford, probably, Barbe has been the most suitable left-hand-sided um, of the three centre-backs when he played for us. I think we were good then. Um, I think Konza probably fitted into that system as well. I'm not convinced with the players we've got at the moment that three at the back makes a whole lot of sense, certainly not in the, the central defenders. Um, so what do we need to do um, for the next nine games? To be honest, we need to find something that works for us. Uh, we, we're missing, we're obviously missing Rika Henry and we're off, obviously missing Josh De Silva. So in Rika Henry, we're missing a left-back that gets into the opposition's half. Sometimes think we're almost a player down when we're attacking at the moment because Mads Beck doesn't venture particularly beyond the halfway line. So we need to find another left-back without a doubt. Um, I, I hear the arguments of Roslev. I'm not massively a fan of that because he's right-footed. I would like to see a left-footed player play there. I'm going to throw a curveball in and say Jan Elt could play as left-back. I'm not convinced we need to play two defensive midfielders because actually I, we, we, we've got nothing to protect now. We need to go out there and win games. I think the philosophy has to be that we need to um, find a way to get on the front foot. We're getting caught far too much on the back foot. Uh, I, I, I think our back four, especially on the left-hand side, especially with Reed playing, is very, very one-dimensional. We're struggling to move the ball quickly um, out of defence into attack without a long ball to Tony. So two attacking midfielders for me, um, and hopefully De Silva being one of them. I think without De Silva coming back, it's going to be a long run of nine games till the end of the season. I'd also be looking at um, Fosu, Mbremo and Canos to be honest, all as equals. Um, I think it's clear that Fosu isn't quite getting enough game time at the moment. He should probably start more games and we should be rotating the three of them a little bit more than we are. Let's start giving the teams we're playing something to think about. Hello, it's Will the Spreadsheet Winker here. So in terms of the signing of Ivan Tony, I think it has papered over the cracks in our squad to some degree. Losing Saeed and Ollie Watkins loses about one XG per game and a whole load of creativity as well. And Ivan can only produce so much since Sergi is a different player to Saeed. Note, not worse, just different on the left-hand side. We lose a lot of creativity and shot volume and goals on his side. In terms of the need to strengthen our squad, I think it's not so much about actually, you know, getting new players in and strengthening, apart from at least probably one other winger. But it's more about higher quality cover and hoping that players like Godosh continue to improve. In terms of three at the back, historically it's usually been deployed as a back five with traditional fullbacks until about the last decade or so. And flying wingbacks works really well in a back three, but for me, you give up lots of control in the middle of the pitch with only two central midfielders if you're playing 3-4-3, or you lose a player up top if you're playing 3-5-2. 4-3-3 with a rotating front three has seen us play some incredible football even over the last season, and I wouldn't go changing our system with less than 10 games to go. In terms of two holding midfielders, say Christian and Vitali both playing in the pivot, it also makes wing overloads even less likely, where, for example, Matthias Jensen or Josta Silva would go uh, up towards uh, Brian uh, Mbermo or Sergi Canos and overload the wing so that you've got more players in the opposition. And I think that those wing overloads are really, really important. It's something we need even more with Mazbeck Sorensen at left back as Rico Henry's injured. So I think that any sort of formation which is going to reduce wing overloads is probably a bad decision tactically for our team. And thus, I think we should probably keep the two number eights in midfield and have one holder.
So I, Katie B, think that Ivan Tony is amazing. Full stop. Uh, but I think he's good in part because of the sort of two-way relationships he's built with the rest of the team. Um, you can see the understanding he has with De Silva, Buemo, Fossu, and um, to some extent Jensen. Um, even though his individual work rate is phenomenal, um, those understandings and relationships are helping him to be so amazing. Um, and I'm also not sure that we have papered over the cracks. Um, for me, to make sure that we get the results we need in the final games of the season, we need to get this team playing with better intensity um, and to keep that intensity up for the duration of games, not just for the first half. Robin Hood. I think Ivan Tony's been an absolutely fantastic addition to our squad. I think he's just been brilliant. He's just, he's, there was a lot of speculation when he first joined as to whether or not he'd be able to step up into the championship level from League One and really fill the boots of Ollie Watkins when we sold him to Aston Villa for 28 million. And I think it's a real testament to Ivan that he's not only, you know, surpassed that with already matching and beating Ollie Watkins' tally of goals from last season, but it's what he does outside of that as well. It's the way he, Works so hard for the team uh, in the defensive sections as well. He's got, not, I think, nine assists this season too. He's just absolutely fantastic. And just his, it's not just, and it's also not just the physical and the statistics that show that. He's, I think, as an attitude, he's got a real leadership and a real swagger and confidence and arrogance about him. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. But I wouldn't necessarily say that's papering over the cracks of any issues that we have within the squad. I think we the players aren't aren't any different and the players proved last season that they have the ability to compete at the highest level in this division i think it's about time that they need they stepped up to changing slightly the way in which they play to suit ivan tony we're a lot more of a direct team than we were last season we rely a bit more on set pieces and on balls um to into feet to the strikers as opposed to just going through the magic of ben rama and through over the and over the top balls to ollie watkins it was i thought i thought it was a fantastic season last season, but yeah, I think Ivan Tony <coughs> has really, really stepped into the role of the striker and the leader this season that we've really, really needed. I think players like Brian and Buemo, Matthias Jensen, Emiliano Marcondes, they, they're they all slightly behind where they were last season, but I don't think that necessarily makes them worse players as a result. And I think the overall squad should be good enough. It's just about getting that consistency. And there's a lot of stuff to do, I think, off the pitch rather than on the pitch in order to improve our um, chances of getting promoted. Hi, Liberal Nick here. Look, has Ivan Tony papered over the cracks? No, of course not. I mean, Ivan is being, is going to be the Championship's top scorer. The rest of the team has done magnificently. I mean, after the disappointment of the playoff final last season, they've been in and around the automatic spots all season, all this season long. Uh, we've got players who have been injured. Um, hopefully now most of them will be back. I mean, Rico may not be back and that's been a very severe loss. But we have been battling well. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We had a 21-game unbeaten run. There's no reason why after this international break we shouldn't go on a nine-game unbeaten run. And then we'll definitely be in the top two. So I'm very happy with, with, with what's going on. I don't think there's any reason to change any system to muck around. Let's just do what we've been doing and let's see what the season brings. And I'm pretty confident it will bring us a second automatic place and promotion. So there you go papering the cracks. Laney, your thoughts? I think I think that is a fair point. Uh, I think that we've got a bit lucky. Um, you, you say lucky, but, you know, there's obviously 
Ivan Tony's been well researched and uh, you know the due diligence was done and there was a chance of him being brought in earlier. So you know it's not as if we like, we've like plucked someone off the streets and they've just ended up being a you know a prolific goal scorer. Uh, so we, I think we've got fortunate that he's 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 got so good so quickly. It could have taken him a year to acclimatise. So if he hadn't worked out then you know we would definitely be mid table and i think you know that that's that's the kind of the the, the biggest problem here is if that we if if we weren't as as prolific or, or up top then we would have had a very average season so so yeah he, he's signing and uh, it, I, I guess it has papered over the cracks slightly dutch yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure whether there's any luck involved in Tony doing well. You know, other teams win the league and they've got strikers that score 25, 30 goals. And you could argue they're all papering over cracks elsewhere when you've got uh, that sort of performance levels. So, yeah, the, the, the team is what it is. And we're lucky enough to have Ivan up, up front scoring goals for fun. Um, you know, that's not to say there aren't flaws in the team and things that we can improve on. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure he's papering over the cracks. He's just a, an excellent striker that's um, given us a massive chance of promotion. So I think it's a bit of a, it's actually a tough question because it sounds really easy to say you know papering over the cracks. The thing is that we are better in some areas than last season, and we're also not as good in in, in some areas. And the, the areas that we are sort of better in has actually made us a better team. And also last season, it was a tougher league, I think, than we are in. at the. Uh, it wasn't as tough a league, sorry, as we're in at the moment now. You know, um, West Brom went up on 83 points last season. And, you know, we're very likely to, you know, we could finish on 83 points and uh, <laughs> and be nowhere near the automatic promotion place. You know, we can get 86 points and be nowhere near the automatic promotion place. So I think that's a little bit... Um, too simplistic to say that he is papering over the cracks. I think one thing that you can say is that, you know, we are probably missing one or two players. We should have made us a very excellent side this season, which we haven't quite got. Uh, We're still doing all right. But uh, like I said to you, too simplistic to say that Tony is just papering over the cracks. But anyway, listen, that's now. What we're going to do now is we're going to hark back to the past. Because as all Bees fans know out there, we have... Never won a major final. And that's been a real, real bugbear for me. I know for you, Laney, for you, the Dutchman, for all bees out there as well. But it's also been a big bugbear for Jason Wills, the bee. Jason, but I'll tell you something, he wears some darts shirts in the Globe as well. If you watch him, he's got these bees dart shirts as well. They're absolutely wicked. But his bugbear, he's talking about his final agony. Hi, my name is Jason Wills. And have experienced the roller coaster ride that is Brentford Football Club for over 35 years, which is a long time when you say it out loud. Um, talking of loud, I am the one normally losing his voice, singing his head off in the ground, but most recently in the pub. I attended my first game with my uncle back in 1985 and have been hooked really ever since. So, with the possibility of playoffs, uh, again this season, it's got me thinking about past opportunities that have gone by. The result I would change would have to be Fulham. Um, the prize was so big and to lose lose it the way we did, especially to them, was really hard to take. Coupled with the fact that we could only watch it on the TV, you know, don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic atmosphere in the pub, but it's just not the same uh, as being in the ground and cheering the lads on. So I know we would have made a difference that day. 
and uh, that is definitely uh, the one I would change. So with this in mind, if you was given the option to change any of the Bees, Wembley or Cardiff final defeats, which one would you choose? Hi, I'm Club Chopin. I have that name because I was lucky enough to spend 11 years working for the club. Nine of those spent working in the supporter cabin in the uh, forecourt and also the Bees Superstore next door to the Princess Royal. If I could go back and change any of the painful playoff finals that we've been to, um, I would probably change the Stoke, the 2002 playoff final against Stoke um, at Cardiff. Um, it was one of our poorest performances that season, in a season where we were actually the best side. We had a goal difference of plus 34. We had an incredible team, which included Inga Marston, Arusu, Sidwell, Hunt, Evans, King Kevin. I believe that if we had have gone up, via the playoffs beating Stoke or gone up in second place, that we would have followed the same kind of trajectory that Reading did and would have been, you know, spent two really strong seasons in the Championship and then gone into the Premiership. I think that would have been our chance to have tasted like the Premiership. And, um, you know, I think we'd be a stronger team now and uh, it would have been interesting to see how our, uh, our future would have changed. Hi, it's GP here. Um, very interesting question you asked if I wanted to travel back and see which playoff defeat I would change. Well, for me, as I said, I put the flux capacitor in the DeLorean. We've set off and we're going to take a little trip back to Wembley last year. Um, it's the Fulham game that I've decided to change. It, for me, it was a toss-up between the crew game in 97. I think we had a big crowd. We hadn't played at Wembley for so long. You know, it was new we'd actually got to the final for a change. Um, and... On that day, everybody was mad for it, up for everybody's drunk. It would have been a massive celebration and we just didn't turn up. But that Fulham game, you know, it was Fulham. It was the final. You just can't lose to Fulham. You just can't, you know, you just can't do it. Um, so for me, although, yes, I know we weren't there, I also think that had we won that Fulham game, we were better equipped to deal with being in a higher division the next se- the next season. Um, I mean, imagine if we'd have gone up with Underweb, he would have just sold all the players in the summer and we'd have ended up getting about four points and getting relegated. So I think it probably worked out better. But for me, definitely the Fulham game. Ian Westbrook. Of all the Brentford playoff final defeats, semi-finals, finals, the one that I really want to um, have again is 2002. when We lost to Stoke 2-0 in Cardiff. That was one of the best Brentford teams probably in the last 20 years. One of the best managers, Steve Coppel. And yet again, as always, we just didn't turn up on the day. And I think the, the thing that really frustrated me after that, after we threw away automatic promotion as well, was the fact that so many players in that team then went on to play in the Premier League. Uh, Stephen Hunt, um, Lloyd Wusu, Evering Gamarsson, Darren Powell, Steve Sidwell. They all went to play in the top division. But if we stayed together, they could have done it with us. And that's the one I'd like the chance to replay. Katie B. The Bees Wembley game, I would change as the last one. Um, I'd have us beat Fulham back in August uh, because I reckon it would have been exciting to go into the new stadium with Prem football. Um, I really wish we hadn't lost in such a frustrating fashion. And selfishly, I wish that we hadn't lost a playoff final to Fulham the day before my 40th birthday. Robin Hood. Playoff finals have never really been our strong suit, but um, so if I could had the option, I'd go back and change all of them. I think the one for me, everyone's going to pick the the most recent one just because it's fresh in the memory, really, and it's really quite heartbreaking. However, I have to say, I think the one sticks in the memory was the two thousand and two playoff final defeat to Stoke City when we lost two 0 It was 
uh, one of one of my earliest memories of being a Brentford fan that I can remember actually watching a game and the result obviously wasn't very very good but it was the performance as well it was for that for the level of players that we had and for the caliber of squad that we had we should have done a lot better with it and it was just really disappointing that we couldn't go up and maintain that squad and keep that one that group of players together you had players like Ivar Ingemarsson and Ijer Anderson and you know, like Lloyd Owusu and Big Ben Burgess up front, Paul Evans in midfield, Stephen Hunt. These are players who are just were would go on to do really, really big things and do do really great things. Some even at Premiership level, uh, Darren Powell as well. And just the opportunity to not see them progress into the second tier was really, really disappointing. And then, of course, the squad got sort of mixed up and changed up. Lots of players got sold in order to keep us afloat, essentially. So, yeah, if I could go back and change one of the player finals, it would probably be that one. A lot of pain there being recalled. And we can only laugh. I mean, people, you know, don't believe me when I said, look, trust me, we've never won a major final. We've lost all of them, all seven of them as well. Which one for you, Laney, is the one that you would, if you could turn it around, you'd change it? If I could turn back time. <laughs> um, this, is, this is like like the oh, your own top trump game. Like We've had so many final failures that you could, you could literally have your own card game. Uh, for me, I, I think, I think, personally, like, you, you, you have to look no further than last summer Fulham um, I, I think the magnitude of that uh, it would have been like life changing in terms of money and, 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 and all of that I think you know I, I, think, I don't think there, there's another answer really but personally I felt worse than I've ever felt after the Cardiff uh, final game against Stoke in 20, uh, 2002, I think I think that's the one because I, I just knew that there was so much riding on that in terms of having to kind of literally sell the whole of the team. Uh, there was it coincided with contracts coming to the end. We lost a manager, blah blah. Uh, I think that defeat put us back a decade um, because we we had a very good team that probably deserves to go up in its own right, and we 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 messed up. We were two down at the break, and that was that was the worst. I think, you know, an early start, a late finish, and it was just yeah, there was there was no fun back in back in town. So, for me, Fulham aside, the uh, the Stoke City defeat in Cardiff in two thousand and two. Yeah, I think Stoke for me probably um, for all the reasons that Laney's just said, um, but I still think the most disappointing one was was Crew. Uh, in '97, when you know we just should have won, and we, and we were rubbish, um, and and even though it's been seven times, it doesn't really get any easier, and you still think you're going to win every time. Uh, and I took so many mates to that, mates from work, mates who never seen the bees, you know, fantastic day out, as always, completely stuffed by football, um, and I found that one really hard to take. Bill, you don't remember that one, do you? Well, I was going to say crew is uh, <laughs> crew doesn't exist as far as I was concerned because uh, I've got I, I, photographs of you asleep throughout <laughs> the whole of that game. I, I slept through. I did sleep through the most of that game. I was. Uh, I'd been working hard that that week. You see, I'd been working very hard. I was probably working very hard on the tequila on the boat that we did from. Uh, we took a boat from Uxbridge up to to Wembley. 
It was the onion bargy. That's right. Bargy. <laughs> was called cool. and all sorts of ridiculous names for all the various transport they used to do in their times. And that was the onion bargy. Got to, to, to Uxbridge about seven o'clock in the morning, if I remember rightly. And it seemed to take about four weeks to get from Uxbridge up to Wembley. And then we walked up from Wembley to the game. And uh, I, was, I was a little bit tired by the time I got to the game. So I, I fell asleep on that one. So I can't really count the crew game as well. But Cardiff was the big one as well. It was a massive... Uh, it was, it, was, it was massive potential because obviously we should have gone up after the, the Reading game, but we didn't quite go up. But then we actually managed to beat Huddersfield, which we didn't beat beforehand in the playoffs a few years beforehand. So that was great. And then we went to Cardiff and we literally didn't turn up. And there was all sorts of infighting going on and stuff. It was it was really, really quite horrible. And uh, yeah, I went back home um, with my, well, now wife as it is, but, you know, it was my girlfriend at the time. We'd only been down it for a couple of months. And that was one of our first dates to go to Cardiff. And it was all kicking off all over the place. It, was, uh, it wasn't the best first dates. And then the following day, I actually went to David Beckham's party at his house, uh, the pre-Japan World Cup party that he had. I went down there and that's funny because I didn't even want to go. I was so gutted at Brentford losing and I thought, I can't believe I had to go. So I, I was going down with uh, it was Mystique, with Alicia Dixon and uh, and uh, that lot as well. And we had Robbie Craig down there and Spoonie from the Dream Team and all that lot. I mean, in the end, it was a great, great, great day. But on, on the Saturday night, I literally was so depressed. And I remember saying to my missus, going, I've got to go to this david beckham party tomorrow i don't know anybody there you know i'm, I'm you know oh, oh god i don't know what's going on so i'm yeah i'm just re- reliving those days trying to sort of kind of pick myself up and um, happy days yeah. happy days well like i said <laughs> seven times unlucky we could always make it eight times lucky and the way we're going at the moment now we're going to need to make it eight times lucky and fingers crossed we'd be able to get in the stadium but look we've been to loads of games so many games that we've been to, live games. We've seen bees through the 70s. Well, not so much in the 70s, but the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, everything like that. But we've got also some newbies that have hardly seen Brentford at all. We get Yehuda, who's a relatively newbie, and he wants to know his history as he delves back to the 90s, asking about the technically gifted. Hi, my name is Yehuda Kunina. I'm a Brentford fan from Israel. I just started uh, following the bees uh, a few years ago since I got uh, familiar with uh, football in England uh, below the Premier League. So uh, I'm a relatively new Brentford uh, fan, but uh, really interested in the in the history of the club, players, games, uh, managers, etc. And uh, especially interested in the in the 90s decade that uh, uh, I read a lot about. Uh, so uh, what I would like to know is who do you think uh, was the most uh, technically gifted player in the 90s and uh, how would you describe him and his uh, qualities? Hi, it's Matt the Allard, Allard here, picking this one up. So Brentford finished the 80s and started into the 90s with some a few technical players in the team. We had the likes of Alan Cockrum, Keith Jones and the brilliant Richard Cadet, who was a fantastic centre forward. However, um, Steve Perryman, our manager, left and he was replaced by Phil Holder. And I honestly don't think technical attributes were high on Phil Holder's list. It was more about being strong, physical, running, 
and getting the ball in the area and scoring goals. I reckon that um, Marcus Gale was probably our best technical player during the Holder period. Um, he had a decent left foot, played out wide. In the end, he turned into a centre-forward. Um, great free kicks and good control. To be honest, compared to the rest of that team, he was pretty high up there. We had a midfielder called Paul Buckle who hardly got a look in, not really one of Holder sort of players. Um, but we got promoted. The job was done. After relegation, we sort of reinvented ourselves again with a new manager, David Webb. And um, there are a few players in that team uh, that you can put into this category. Paul Stevenson was a winger. Um, again, he, he, he great touch, but maybe didn't quite have the energy that was needed. We had Paul Abrahams. He was a very talented midfielder that came from Colchester, could beat players, scored a couple of cracking goals, which you may be able to find on YouTube, uh, but just not physically strong enough, I think. And then we had Robert Taylor. Probably one of my favourite Brentford centre forwards. Thought to think of him as a as a as a bigger version of Teddy Sheringham. Just brilliant. I really like watching him play. Um, he had great vision, good touch for a big man, as they say. Um, and um, he scored free kicks. He scored some great lobs. He was yeah, very very good. Then. Just towards the end of Webb's time, a player called Marcus Bent came on the scene. He was 16 years old, and I still think during that period, he was one of the most exciting talents we saw at Brentford. He was playing out as a winger, but even then I thought he could play as a centre-forward later in his career. But unfortunately, we had a season where we really faced relegation. The manager then, Mickey Adams, I don't think he really fancied Marcus Bent in a relegation scrap. I remember him being substituted before half-time at Gillingham. Bent left that season, or at the end of that season, and went on to play in the Premier League, uh, I think for Everton, when he when they qualified for Europe. He was, um, yeah, I, I still think probably a player that got away for sure. And then towards the end of the late 90s, Along came Gavin Mahon. Now, Gavin Mahon, unlike the other players I've mentioned, was a defensive player. But he honestly was one of the first defensive midfielders. He also played at centre-back that we saw that could actually play with the ball and retain possession and stuff like that. This is things we weren't used to. I know I've mentioned quite a few players there, so I know I've been asked to give you who I think was the most technically gifted. And I think that has to go, to be honest, to Marcus Bent. Marcus was a winger at Brentford. He had good touch. He had good vision. He could control the ball and he could do things with the ball that other players couldn't. It may not always have been clear to supporters because, to be honest, his work ethic wasn't quite there. But then he was very young, just in his late teens at that time. Uh, I, I, he went on to be a good player in the Premier League and I think that says it all, really. My suspicion is is that he he played probably a little bit ahead of his time and he'd be even more valuable to... Uh, Premier League teams now and he certainly played for Brentford at completely the wrong time I always think that he's one that right player wrong time and definitely one that got away so yes there you go Yehuda bit more information there for you and like I said to you I like this idea like I said the Israeli bees like you know um I just went to Israel for an England game, actually. I don't know why I didn't quite go there. I'm a little bit gutted, actually, that I didn't make it out there. But if I do go out there, Yehuda, I will be definitely calling you up. And it's definitely good to have you as part of the Bees fans family. And I know that you're a big supporter of the podcast. So thank you very much for all your, well, listening and uh, your support and everything like that, which is which is pretty, it's pretty cool, isn't it, Laney? You quite, quite like that, the old Israeli Bees? Yeah, I, I, I sent him out a uh, big Brentford book of the 90s. I remember... I remember 
sort of getting the order and I think, oh, it's the first time I've sent a book out to Tel Aviv. And uh, I've been to Tel Aviv a few times in the last few years and I, th- I thought we'd probably cheaper to uh, actually physically fly it out to him than entrust it with Royal Mail. So uh, it's, it was quite, I think the book was about 30 quid and the postage was about 80. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it's cool to, it's good, it's good to hear that he's got, you know, love for the bees and that's, uh, you know, it transcends any any kind of space and all, all oceans and all land Brentford are taking over the world Bill that's right and uh, it's interesting to hear the Allard talk very fondly about the 90s players and the technical players um, from the 90s which is you know and again a lot of players there that you know through fondness because the thing about that for me for the 90s is you know people turn around to you and they, they ask you certain questions what's your favorite this what's your favorite food what's your favorite music what's your favorite you know team what's your favorite era of football and it's really difficult because you know you want to sort of kind of try and tie it down but i think it's really difficult to tie it down because different eras give you different feelings like you know like for me the 80s was when you first started going and even though we weren't really good the fact you went very every week and you were you know quite young and you you had a new crew that used to go around with you used to go home and away we used to get beaten a lot of the time but it's a lot of fun in the 80s even though you were you know you were pretty rubbish and then the 90s came and things changed to a certain extent we were a lot better side and and also you know you, you get your first job you've got a bit of disposable income so all of a sudden your football experience changes a lot so there's those are sort of kind of different things so it was really interesting him you know talking about those players and it really brought back a lot of memories for me what I thought was interesting though because there's one player that he didn't mention who I thought was uh, to me was technically very able as well was a Herman Horiderson because I I absolutely love that team of uh, the late 90s a team that got promoted okay I know we came out of division two the lowest tier or whatever it was at that time but Herman Horiderson, for me, I mean, he should not have been in the Brentford side. You know, I know we hate all these sort of Johnny Big Big Bollock sides out there who uh, come in and they spend loads of money. And, uh, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're going to get promoted. But the thing about it is that the reality is that we were actually that side in the lower tier when Ron Nodes came in. And we had, you know, three coaches, you know, one for, you know, one for the defence, one for the midfield, one for the attack. And then we just were buying all these players on ridiculous, you know, wages and, and ridiculous fees. And Herman cost us £750,000 in those days, which was a lot of money, you know, and he was on a decent wage and he could easily play for, you know, if it's not a Division 2 side, you know, probably kind of, you know, uh, as, as a Premier League side, which he did in the end. But I thought he was just brilliant, you know, and um, you, know, you could even ask the question, would that Herman Horiderson have sat in our defence now? And I'd have to question and say, mm, actually, I'd probably think that he would. I mean, what, what do you think the Dutch? Oh, I, lo- I love Herman. Herman was, was quality, but as, as you say, it, it was for us a, a ridiculously low level, um, but he's proved that he can hack it at the top level. Um, and he, he's a quality player. Um, I think Allard's covered the fact for me that very fond memories of the early 90s and that, that team in particular. Uh, and, and quite interesting that there's so many skillful players around that Phil Holder, fairly direct route one type of football. Um, he, he also, unless I missed it, um, didn't mention Neil Smiley, um, who would be up there as one of my favourite skillful technical players um, as part of that team. Uh, but yeah, Richard Cadet for me um, and others. But Herman, as you say... Um, Gavin Malm, perhaps you could see how some of those players would fit into the style of football that we're now playing, um, and it's always a great game, isn't it, to, to pick people from different generations and different teams, uh, and, and say how they'll do today. 
I am just slightly worried that there's young people out there asking us old timers about the 90s. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's made me feel really old this afternoon. You could actually argue um, that the signing of like Herman Horidison is very similar to the signing of Pontus Janssen. You know, they arguably uh, too big for us at the time of signing, um, but have, have, have emerged as, you know, really good captains. And I, I think Herman, Bill, you, you said, you know, um, he shouldn't have been at Brentford. I, I don't think we could afford him, actually, the, the answer to that. I think Nodes facilitated the deal, but, you know, he was he was, he was was beyond our um, pay, pay, payability. So uh, he contributed to kind of a big debt that we're building up. But, you know, all, all, all of us here, no, I don't, Bill, you didn't go to Paris to see him play for... Iceland against France. I think you were there, Dutch, weren't you? Yeah, I was there. Fantastic day out. Um, never forget the look on those Icelandic fans' faces when we all sat there in our red and white shirts with a couple of drinks inside us, just screaming for one player. And that shows you, eh, how different things. That was like our only international player. We could we could pick anywhere yeah. now, couldn't we? <laughs> it was fantastic, and Iceland actually gave France a real scare in that game because if they'd have won it, they'd have knocked them out of the. Um, the tournament, I think, all the qualifiers for the tournament. Um, but yeah, that was a fantastic day out. And talking about that as well, I mean, it's interesting because he, you know, he made also, you know, a few references to people like Richard Cadet, who Richard is, you know, he, he was on one of our uh, socials a few years ago as well. And if you could check it out on Pride of West London, just check out the Richard Cadet social. It was a wicked, wicked social, but he was like one of my proper, proper heroes. We love Richard Cadet. He was in that era, that kind of. He was in the transitionary phase at the early 90s when Brentford started from being shit <laughs> to actually being quite good. He played in the FA Cup run over 1989 when we got into the quarterfinals of the Cup. You know, Liverpool, we lost against Liverpool. And then after that, he was in the following team. But he kind of, you know, Richie, he was a little bit kind of, you know, listen, Richie was Richie and probably a little bit feisty. And he probably thought that he could do better. And he decided to move on. And it was a shame because, you know, he moved on. And then we moved on and we went up and Richie didn't really kind of reach the heights that he should have done. But at that time, we loved Richie. And he, that's right, he ended up going to Scotland. So by the time we got promoted, he was playing up at Falkirk, which you can argue was probably a backward move. And uh, so much so that we loved him so much that we decided to go up to Falkirk. How many times to go and see him play? Probably about 10 like, you know, so we, uh, and I remember the very first time we went to, remember we went via Wigan. We went to see Brentford play Wigan on a Friday night. Then on to Airdrie the, next, right. the next morning. That's there right. is a theme running through this, isn't it? You know, we've got Laney's trips to Israel, random trips to France, up to Scotland. We'll just go anywhere. Have <laughs> uh, a slightest excuse with a random bees relevance. That's right. That's right. And, and, the, and, the, and the fact, like I said to you, that you know that we've got uh, Ethan Pinnock now playing for Jamaica. I think, you know, we've got a few more decent excuses. Elaine, you remember that time we were actually plotting up when, um, when Romain Sawyers was playing for, is it St. Was it St. Kitts that he plays for as well? Well, yeah, I'm I'm still up for a bit of that. Actually, to be honest, as, ma- as many as many of our players that want to like assimilate with uh, West Indian uh, small team, um, small islands, the better. To be honest, Aruba, <laughs> Dutch Antilles, any of them, I'm up for all of them. Just get him to order yeah. a book. Yeah, that's right. You could come. You can come down <laughs> to, to visit my relatives. You want to go down to Guyana if you want to as well, lady. Yeah, as well. Up for that. Yep. Yeah. So I know. I know the. I know the characters that run. Billy, I'm waiting. Waiting for your Brazilian relatives to give us a, an invitation once you've sorted your DNA out. I'm sure. I'm sure you do. I've, I've still got a little mm-hmm. thing about the Brazil thing because it's a little bit, a little bit big time actually. Like you know, it's, it's 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 a little bit alien for me to sort of kind of be going moving into that a 
a range. So, you know, you notice even when I sort of mentioned the fact that, you know, that I've got a Brazilian in me and then I, I did the link and I, I didn't sort of say Pele or, you know, Ronaldo, did I, did I, um, Dutchman? Who did I say that I might be related to? Yes, that well-known Brazilian, Emiliano Macondes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Brentford in me though. So anyway, but like I said to you, but the 90s, um, I love that period. That's the, the the cheese boat as well. The first ever cheese boat that we did, where we did the the cheese boat to Charlton. You know, we did the I did the boat at the beginning of the, uh, of the year down the down the South End in the early nineties when we finished. Uh, I think we finished sixth. I think that year. But the the cheese boat to Charlton was the big one where it got snowed off as the boat left the docks and it was on its way to Kew and it got snowed off on the way to Charlton and we were all dressed up in all sorts of cheese hats and stuff. So, uh, like I said to you, a lot of good memories. I think for me of the teams, I think, you know, you, you talk about Cadet and that. I mean, I, I think he, you could say 80s as well. I mean, he was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And then obviously, like, you got Herman and that lot um, and the class of, you know, 1999, 2000. That obviously, they spanned, you know, the millennium and the, 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 the change of decades. But it's a, it's a few that I, I think that stand out from the middle as well, you know. I think you, you, you can't look past Denny Mundy, can you, really? You know, uh, I think technically, for, for the period he was twiddling his boots at Brentford, I, I don't think I've seen anything like it before. He was almost like a one-man phenomenon. And he was just thrusting the deep end. Like, he wasn't a striker. We had a striking crisis, and then... We, we put him there, similar to like when Ivan Tony was out and then, you know, we put Brian and Waymo up top, we put Canos up top or we try something out. But he actually worked and he had this trick, this, the Denny Mundy twiddle, where, which baffled defenders. He had a, he called him a one trick pony and, it, and, it, and but it worked and he scored a lot of goals for us. I think he scored, you know, proportionally to what he played for us. You know, there was a, a spike that season. Uh, I think he played less than 80 games for us and, I was, you know, scoring sort of 20, 30 goals for us. Um, and I, I, I put him down as kind of like justice, yeah, a phenomenon that, that it worked for that split second in time. And I, and I do say something else, Bill, that you have to say about Denny Mundy. He played for Newport Isle of Wight. And uh, if only we'd drawn him in, uh, in the FA Cup. <laughs> Definitely. I'll just say something, actually. As you sort of mentioned all these names, it's actually made me heart back as well. And again, this has nothing to do with the football, but I actually, because uh, in those days, we, we had really, really close relationships with the players. You know, you know, we can go back to all the interviews that we had, you know, meeting Marcus Gale at that pub on Chiswick High Road and, you know, just meeting players in different pubs and we just ring them up, they'd come down, we'd have a few drinks, we'd interview them, take a photograph, put it in the fanzine, it was done. So it was, uh, used to have some really, really good days. And I remember actually now, there was one time I actually went down and I went on a player's night out. And I went out, it was with Carl Hutchins, so it was me and Hutchie, and then it was also Marcus Bent. So I went out with Marcus Bent. There was Ivan Ingemarsson, as well, um, and it was God. Who else was there? I think what, Paul was, was Evans there as well. No, no, it's before. It wasn't. No, it was. It's before his days as well. And there's a few other beast players. But then also on that night, Rio. I remember Rio Ferdinand turned up. So I remember Rio Ferdinand turned up, and there was sort of a kind of a sort of different air about it. It was just off um, Piccadilly Circus, and uh, we were all inside this bar chatting away, having a bit of a laugh. Marcus Bent came in. He just left Brentford, and he was somewhere else. He had a little bit of an edge about him. He was a little bit kind of, I'd say moody, but he, was, he wasn't 
Everyone else is really welcoming him and laugh. Peter, I think I'm sure Pinamonte was there as well. He was proper one of the lads, like you know what I'm saying. And uh, and then Marcus came in, and then he was a little bit more difficult to come to. And then after that, Rio came in, but Rio was the Premier League player, I think, at the time. So he came in. He had a little chat. I had a little chat to him. He kind of sort of like said a few little things. Then I think he went off to somewhere else, you know, to probably some another players' night out somewhere. But I just I just thought about that. I just thought, <laughs> is that ever going to happen now? I mean. And, you know, you always have to have play nights out where you see the Brentford players out, you know, down the Haven Stables in Ealing. I remember there was a Christmas party one there one time and there were Tony Parks and all the players were there. Keith Jones and our lot were down there. And I think there was, like I said, a little bit of shenanigans between us and not us, but some of the people that I was with and the, and the Brentford crew who were pre- properly hammered as well. So, uh, but yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't China Whites, was it? It was not China. I, I don't know if we went on to China Whites afterwards, actually. Yeah. China Whites, Wednesday night at China Whites was actually the, was actually the night. So it might have been China Whites afterwards, but um, and but can I can I just try? It's just three or four names I just want to chuck in. I don't really want to elaborate on them, but if you're talking about the nineties, you're talking about technically gifted players. I do want to say these names: Keith Jones. I want to say Iger Anderson. I thought he was excellent. He's still a top man, and your mate Martin Rowlands, Bill. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought I thought he was. Excellent at the time. He's he obviously he's uh, he's ruined his uh, his book his copybook. But you know, I thought I thought he was a you know a technically gifted player. Um, and uh, yeah, happy memories. Yeah, definitely. And I spoke to, I actually spoke to Keith Jones about three about six five or six months ago. Actually, uh, he's actually living in Arizona at the moment now. And I've been trying to take him down. I've been chatting to him, and he's uh, still a very hard man to get hold of. So I don't know whether or not any Bees fans will be hearing from Keith Jones in the very near future. Because, like I said to you, maybe Arizona doesn't have the same kind of technology as what we have, but it's not seems to be working. But anyway, look. Oh, sorry, Nicky Foster. As well, we can't we can't not say Nicky Foster. No, no, we can't say Nicky Foster at all. But anyway, talking about the good old days, Owen B. He harks back to the days when, well, quite frankly, we weren't very good, and we didn't have any fans. And so one policeman used to get very busy, causing us all sorts of grief. So we've named this section Old Bill in honour of this old policeman. Hi, my name's Owen B or Nursey. Um, my start at Brentford went back to 1983 at Griffin Park versus Huddersfield. Stan Bowles penalty, fourth minute. Attendance 6,217. I also remember that game very well because I got my knees stuck in the railings at Brook Road. So my question is this. From the early to mid 80s, what was the policeman's shoulder number? Now the background to this There was a grumpy, mature policeman that used to walk the perimeter of the pitch most games, thinking he owned the place, and he used fear as his currency. He was a proper wrong'un. He chose to walk along the new road towards Ealing Road on this occasion, and it was packed due to the standard half-time migration. As he walked towards the separating fence between the home and away fans, this song went up. Oh, PC, mm mm mm-mm-mm. PC, mm-mm-mm, oh, PC, mm-mm-mm. Then there was this acute silence, followed by an almighty intake of breath. The second chorus belted out like no other song I'd heard as a young, impressionable and polite teenager. Oh, what a not a very nice man. Oh, what a not a very nice man. 
Oh, what a not a very nice man. Now, you have to be a bit creative and wordsmith-like to change the tone slightly to something a bit more industrial and spicy to get the exact words. The whole ground went up with this crazy laughing at this policeman who was having his, what can only be described as a Mr Mackay neck stretch at this brilliant, what I would call Spartacus moment. There was absolutely nothing he could do. This, for me, typified the bee's spirit of cheeky, fun and unity. So going back to the original question, what was the shoulder number that went with the song? Thanks all. Keep up the good work. Scary Carey here, and we're talking about a man with not just one, but a whole bag of chips on his shoulder. The man, the myth, the legend, the absolute twat that was 333. I know the song you're referring to. It used to follow him around the ground like a Mexican wave. And I remember a few times the away fans caught on and joined in. And that was a that was a beautiful moment. But to be honest, I think he loved it. And I think he thought that he owned Griffin Park. And he, he liked to let you know it a little bit. But he wouldn't restrict himself to Griffin Park. He used to travel to away games. Always trying to intercept the official, unofficial coach looking for the smallest sign of booze. He'd be under the seat looking for a little bottle top or a ring pool. A bit CSI Brentford. But... Needless to say, we were always one step ahead of the game. The last I heard of him, after his tour of duty at Griffin Park, I believe he stood for Chief Commissioner of the Met on an anti-chomp platform. So Owen B with the question, he didn't quite know who this policeman was, and Scary Carey with the answer. And uh, Laney, Listen, let's be quite honest about it. I mean, I remember this policeman very, very, very well. Because basically, we didn't get on very at all. I wonder why, wonder why that could have been, Bill. <laughs> I don't know, Laney. You say, why was that? Um, I don't want to say about anything um, systemic about the police force. No. <laughs> Listen, yeah, he, he, he gave me a bit of a hard time, it has to be said. Throughout the, uh, like I said, I say my formative years at Brentford, and he was uh, was not a very nice bloke at all. And uh, he was, uh, well, you know, what else can what else can I say? But um, I've got I've actually got a photograph of me and him, which I've not sent to any of you lot because you you love this photograph. But there's a photograph of me and him in a slightly confrontational pose, shall we say. And it's a really, really good, it's like a proper, like full on, it's just two of us there. It's in the, the little kind of, the little forecourt area, just when the players come out of the, the dressing rooms. And it's that area there. And it was basically when my cousin, I've got my cousins, I've got them both mascots at the Brentford game. So I've got them down. I've got my, my cousin himself, you know, or their dad. It's actually my cousin because it's, it's my cousin's um, two sons. So I got their mascots at the time and then my cousin come down. He was there with his missus, it was me, it was my missus and we were having a really great day and then we came out afterwards and the kids were getting some autographs off the players. But of course, who has to come around and spoil it? It was 3-3-3 three, three, three. and he came around and I don't know what, he can't remember exactly what he was doing and I think I just, oh, why don't you just leave me alone? And it all kicked off and it was quite really bad and my cousin came over and it was all kicking off and people were having to hold us back but... He was a nightmare, and if anyone wants to say, oh, if it's a policeman in the uniform and they're great and they, they don't cause any problems, that's not true, because he was not like that at all. He was dodgy, he was not very nice, and he just basically just, just gave us lots of grief. Didn't he, Laney? Um, 
I didn't get the personal grief, but um, I do remember him and I do remember the songs. I don't think people were particularly nice to him either. And so I think it was like a, a mutual hatred. Um, and I do remember songs about 333 has got VD. And I remember, if, if I don't know if you recall the way you used to walk into the Royal Oak Stand, you used to sort of come from ground level through a central kind of uh, entrance and then the the, 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 state, the stand would be sort of to the right and left but also massively behind you and then you could walk up and round and kind of go on top of the, the entrance and there used to be sort of, uh, you know, um, the small kids would, would stand at the front of the kind of like the, the barrier that would look over the gap that would uh, kind of like be the entrance and I do remember him being spat on um, by kids and I remember one game where I looked down and there he had a, like his long black coat on and it was just full of spit it was it wasn't very nice so um he probably didn't like us very yeah, much but we weren't I mean nothing funny I wasn't I wasn't spitting on him mate we were just, I was just going about doing doing our doing our own thing but I think there was a bit of a kind of air as as, as OMB said of kind of I run this place and who the hell are you and uh, and so you know, so you, you know, he used to try and sort of kind of sort of feel the rod of iron. And a lot of people say, "Well, he's a policeman; he, you know, he should be allowed to." But this, you know, he was almost like the era just before kind of they decided actually we kind of need to work with football fans here. So let's try and do a little bit more community policing. So you had the sort of kind of um, officer Ken, hello Ken, um, kind of a um, sort of type of policing where all of a sudden they kind of got to know everyone and they, they understood that, you know, we can get a little bit lively and, you know, we were into our team, but they, 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 they didn't react in the same way that 333 did where what he did, they were looking at any opportunity to throw you out, any opportunity to nick you, just any opportunity just to do anything. I used to run, you know, my official unofficial coaches, as, as you know, because, you know, you guys used to come on them all the time. And, you know, and if you watch the push-up Brentford documentary made by Digital Works, which is a very, very good Brentford documentary. If you haven't checked it out, check it out, this international window. It's on YouTube. It's on, just do push it up Brentford and you will find it. Great documentary told by Brentford fans, filmed by Brentford fans. It's about Brentford. And uh, I talked about me running my official, unofficial coaches as I did in the 80s and, and the 90s. And um, in those days as well, 333 was, oh God, he was just me, it's me, me, me nemesis because he couldn't stand the fact that I was running these coaches and so much so that like I said to you it was because of him that I had to have all these secret locations it was almost like the acid house parties you did in the days where there was no location of the acid house party you had to sort of kind of ring a secret number on the day and then they'll tell you where the location of the party was and then you'd go there with me coaches as well no one would know where the location was till like the day or the day before and then one week it would be Ealing Broadway the next week it would be Gunnersbury Station the next week it would be Norfolk next week it would be somewhere else only because we were trying to avoid 333 who was trying to track us down and obviously we all always had booze on the buses as well because you know okay you weren't allowed to have booze on the buses but we weren't going to go around and smash the place up we were just you know having a bit of fun and we hired a company that actually supplied the booze so we didn't even have to bring our own booze they just supply the booze but what we had to make sure that we did is that we had to make sure that when we went to wherever we were going we had the good pub guide stopped off at a pub we unloaded all the booze like about an hour before the match so we have to unload the booze so that when we went to the ground 
there was actually no booze on the bus whatsoever. And we got to the ground and free, free, free would always be there. He'd get on the bus with all these cronies and he literally, he'd be searching the bus from top to bottom, looking for bottle caps, looking for anything that he can find of evidence that we'd been drinking on the bus. And obviously it was quite a big crime if you had been at those, those, those days, just to go to show you kind of like what a police state we were living in. And um, But no, he never found anything because, you know, it got to the stage where I, I used to even get people, I used to I used to run a husky dog racing championship and that time that we went to Stoke that time, I don't even remember, we stopped off at a pub beforehand and I got some of my husky dog racers to uh, take our beer and they took it back to their husky shack somewhere in the middle of Stafford somewhere. We went into the ground, 333 came to search the coach, there was nothing there. Then after the game, we went to another pub and my husky racers came back with their husky dogs with, with like sort of kind of seven crates of beer, put it back on the coach. <laughs> it was Labatt's, was it? It was Labatt's, right. wasn't it? I worked for Labatt's at the time, the beer company, I was doing their music sponsorship. And um, yeah, so I had loads of Labatt's beer. So I just, just basically, those trips were just absolutely brilliant. But 333 did not make our life any easier. Dutchman, you don't remember him too well, do you? I never saw much of him, Billy. He was always too busy trying to nick you. Um, <laughs> so he left me alone. I mean, in my head, I have these sort of memories, if you remember, of the old spitting image police puppet that used to go around with his truncheon constantly raised. <laughs> Who are madam? Um, you know, with his old-fashioned uniform on. But it was, yeah, it, it, it was different, wasn't it? They had their, their targets... Um, they didn't really go much wider than their targets. They seemed to go for the same people every time. Was my memory of it. Um, you, you know, probably being one of his main targets. Um, but it, it was amazing on all those trips that I went on with you. That you know, everyone so respected what what we were doing. You know, they, they never found anything. As you say, they never found a bottle top or a ring pull. You know, there was the the whole bin thing in the middle, and you know everything big baggy, <laughs> That's right. and, and and taking it off, and it, it's just luckily they, they didn't do blood tests. <laughs> I have to admit, I was I was a bit I was a bit sergeant majorish on those trips, wasn't I? I'd, you know, I'd come mm. with the bags, and you know if, if anyone was spilling anything, or I'd be like, go on, put it in the bag, like you know, and I'd be running up and down the coach, making sure that everyone is sticking to the rules. But that's just to ensure that we can actually get more trips, because if uh, if it went horribly wrong, then the trip would be binned and uh, they carried on for years and they were a lot of fun as you said so and all those trips as you said there was a like I said there was a lot of drinking on those trips wasn't there Laney? Yes there was <laughs> yes um, I, I have to say it was my growing up growing up time yeah I, I, I enjoyed thoroughly the minute I got anywhere near the, the coach and then getting on it and then the journey to the ground and uh, I think this I think that's where the keep football out of football um, vibe was born really because we'd all have so much fun getting there um, you know the, the football was always the thing that would ruin a day I remember going to that Port Vale game and uh, and you know Stoke away and it was just the, the football was the, the bit that just just we did we could have done without it we could have just stayed in the pub or stayed on stayed on the coach just done eight hours up the M1 and eight hours back down the M1 it would have been brilliant and I think maybe that's the thing you need to arrange I'm going to delegate you because obviously you're good at it but maybe um, post lockdown first away game we do none of this none of this train nonsense Bill let's do old school coach and then make up some east coast theme park that we're supposedly going to go to dolphin world or whatever flamingo land or whatever it is <laughs> that's uh, right that's, i was talking to someone about that actually because uh, they were talking about um that's at grimsby 
and I said, and I, and I yeah. said you know, I, I hired a coach to go to Grimsby um, for the, the, the Great Escape, Martin Allen, yeah. The Great Escape. So I hired this coach to go up to Grimsby and it was from my landlord because at the time I'd, I'd set me from the company and I was actually in the land, the, my landlord was Impact Coaches in, in Perivale. So the character there, I went to him and I said, look, I want to get a coach. He goes, where are you going? I said, oh, we're going to the zoo the zoo in Cleethorpes and he goes that's great that's lovely like I said yeah it's really like environmentalists so we're going to the zoo so anyway we all turned up you know Brentford shirts and scarves but the driver had no idea we've got on the coach we've got up there you know singing a few songs got to the zoo but he just thought we were just sort of jolly good sort of, sort of environmentalist party going up to the zoo we stopped off in the pub and when we got to the pub I um, came out of the pub and then I went to him, look, you know, sorry to do this to you, mate, but, you know, you know the itinerary you've got? He goes, yeah, I said, here's the new itinerary. I gave him the new itinerary, which was uh, uh, going to Grimsby Football Club. And obviously, like, you know, at that stage, they were going to the game, whereas beforehand he was going to the zoo. So us being on the coach, drinking beers and everything like that, technically we weren't going against the law because, you know, he was taking us to the zoo. And uh, we got back and <laughs> we had a right, well, we lost, but we had a right laugh. And when I got in on the Monday, my boss went absolutely, when a boss, my landlord, went absolutely berserk at me. You, you took people to a football match. You did tell me, oh, yeah, my licence, this, that, the other. And uh, I never hired a coach from him again after that. So, like I said to you, those were, those were, the, those were the days. But like I said to you, 333 just drove us into carrying on that type of behaviour, the sort of in clandestine, you know, the sort of kind of... Sort of Informing. The, the mili- the military position that we had to Informer. do. Informer. That's right. But anyway. <laughs> Billy, he never, I'll tell you what, Billy, 333 never found us when we went to the home game against Fulham, did he? He didn't think of looking in Aberdeen. <laughs> no. Um. He probably tried to get up there, but, you know, he just knew that he wouldn't get back in time. But anyway, a besotted podcast wouldn't be a besotted podcast without the discussion of drink somewhere in the midst. As Steve H asks, what's your tipple? Hi, my name is Steve H. And I've seen the Bees fans since the mid-60s, in the glory days of Peter Gelson and Alan Mansley. Hi, I've been uh, wondering during this lockdown period what we've all been drinking. Personally, I've, uh, I've been sampling very delicious strong L's from a very nice off-licence which opened during the lockdown period. Uh, some of these L's are exceptionally strong. In fact, the last time I went, I bought three L's, small bowls, came to £12. I thought, what could this possibly be? But it turns out the beers were 8%, 9% and 10% proof, respectively. And they were absolutely delicious. And I also have to admit to, to one guilty pleasure, and that's drinking Palmer Violet Brothers Cider. Three for five pounds from Morrison's. Absolutely delicious. So I've just been wondering if, uh, if you guys have been drinking anything strange, or what is your guilty pleasure on the drinking front? Cheers now, Steve. Hi, this is the real liberal, Tom Fiddler. Uh, and the drink that got me through lockdown has got to be Big Drops Kirsch Cherry Stout. Oh my God. I will admit, I is a non-alcoholic, and some may call that cheating. But I thought to myself, if there's one good thing I can do, it's make sure I build up myself for the end of lockdown. And so I went for a non-alcoholic one, but this stout is honestly just delicious. It tastes like a Black Forest Gateau in a stout. Uh, it's sweet. It's it's low percentage. It's everything I could ask for for right now. And uh, it was limited edition. I've drunk my way through my, my crate far too quickly. And unfortunately, I think I've, I've run out of my reserves. But uh, I'll be kind of wishing along Christmas again to hope they re- re- reproduce it and uh, I get another round of it because it is delicious. Pub shop Anne. My favourite cheeky lockdown tipple has probably been gin, actually. I have to admit, I've... You know, just plain gin, flavoured gin, pink gin, 
orange gin. I just like gin, to be fair. Um, gin and ginger beer is quite interesting, but it's not the same as uh, enjoying a drink with your friends in the pub, pre-match, post-match, chatting about Brentford. And um, that's what I'm looking forward to getting back to. Hi, Liberal Nick. What's kept me going through lockdown alcohol-wise? Well, you know, the odd glass of red. Um, and what I've found is that the more that you can afford to spend on a bottle of red, the better it is. Um, but my drink of choice actually has been Lapsang Souchong tea. And that's really been a revelation to me. Nice smoky brew. Um, and that's kept me going and has also helped with the alcohol consumption. So, yeah, Lapsang Souchong tea. That's my recommendation. Kate B. It was gin and tonic that got me through the first half of lockdown. Um, I experimented with many different gins, your classic Sip Smiths, um, some delicious Parisian gin that my brother bought me, and then the Navy Strength um, 57% Wicked Wolf gin on bad days. Uh, but my top gin is definitely um, made by a company called Welsh Sisters, uh, and it's their Captain's Wife gin, um, which is really delicious. Um, and if you want to be fancy, uh, you can garnish your gin and tonic with a bit of blood orange that's a, a nice flavor uh, but then in september i gave up booze um, and now my drink of choice is black earl grey tea steve h getting very excited there as well as the esteemed panelists as well the besotted crew everyone's getting excited about telling us what's been getting them through lockdown dutchman what's been getting you through the lockdown um the usual flavored stouts have done me proud um, I think there must be more flavours coming out all the time, but you can't find a normal stout anymore. They're all um, chocolate chip or chocolate orange, imperial, one thing or another, salted caramel. Um, so, so they're good. Um, but also I've been getting a lot of stuff from Big Smoke Brewery in, in Isha, fairly local. Um, we've been supporting them, or, or they've been supporting us maybe. Um, but they, they go through our local pub, um, you know, great, great delivery service, good range of IPAs and, um, yeah, big, big shout out to Big Smoke for me. Laney, what's, I mean, I know that you, every time I see you, you, uh, you've got all sorts of different beers that you've been sort of shipping in, get boxed in, you know, go out and go and get. Oh, the one that caught my eye as well, which I haven't tasted myself, but it, I just thought it, uh, it sort of kind of, the synergy was there with yourself was the Love Lane Brewery. And then I saw him pop up on the news as well. So I was thinking, oh, there you go. So it looks like you, you're the, the opinion for me, you know, you've got in there, you know, rather early lane, didn't you? Yeah, you call him an influencer, Bill. Oh, yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously there is the, you know, Love Lane is the, you know, the, the brewery that is absolutely no relation to me, unfortunately, but it was the one thing that kind of I was drawn to. Recommended, I've bought the glasses that accompany the beer now. I've gone full Belgian on it. So I have the right beer with the right glass now. Uh, and I have to say the uh, Spearmint mint, mint Chocolate Imperial Stout was just incredible. 12% in a tin. I think it was seven quid. You know, you, you have to, you know, it's, it's, it don't come cheap, but it, it was good shit, as they say. And uh, that, that was the standout beer of my lockdown. But I bought like... I bought a lot of gear from them over the last over the last few weeks, and it's all really good. It's like unpasteurized. Even the IPAs are really cloudy. Uh, it's yeah, it's chewy, chewy, very high volume beer, and you only need a couple. And that's that's for me. That's that's the ideal night having three very good 
industrial strength beers to get me through an evening. And I know I, I put my hand up. I've probably drunk too much during the, the last lockdown. Probably I've struggled through this one more than the first couple. Dark winter nights, just kind of like really kind of. Well, I've had enough now. Just want to get out and start living my life again. So, but can't. So uh, I'm looking forward to clocks going forward tomorrow and just being more out there and uh but the yeah i'm currently drinking a uh guinness west indian porter from the, across the road at six percent and I, I have to say this is very good very good indeed yeah the original guinness is is all mm. good as well like you know um i used to live and again you know <laughs> but i used to live in jamaica as well and I'm, I'm there's one thing actually i'm very very good if you you just drop me an advert I remember adverts from back in the day. I can remember the music, I remember the lyrics. And I remember the, the lyrics for the Guinness advert in Jamaica. And uh, it went like this, Guinness for goodness, Guinness for power, Guinness is good for you. Well, it, 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 is, it is good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, but, um, but, you know, talking about drink, and, and as you know, for me, um, you know, the lockdown, the revelation for me, I just realised that you didn't have to drink alcohol to, uh, to enjoy yourself, especially through the football. And I discovered the non-alcoholic variety of uh, well beers and just any sorts of drink like you know and uh, and like I said to you it's you know I, I could never imagine not going to football and, uh, and 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 having a beer I just couldn't imagine it oh, I've got to go on the train got to have a beer you know you go to the game you've got to have a beer but now not fussed at all I could go to the games I can have a beer a non-alcoholic beer now and to me it's as good um, just because you, it just gives you a little bit more flexibility especially like I said when I bring my daughter you know before and I'll be working at how do I get her there how do I get back maybe if I want to stay on a little bit later do I have to get somebody to go and pick her up all this kind of stuff I, I don't have to worry about that now so at this very moment in time I'm drinking um, from a brewery which to be honest I'm not overly keen on because I think that they're kind of sort of like kind of corporate beer dressed up in a sort of kind of independent shell and it's Brewdog but the fact is I've done I've tried all the I've tried all the non-alcoholic beers pretty much all of them some of them I have to say are pretty stinky they they, they don't taste great at all but the Brewdog Nanny Steak does come out of one of the best ones actually if you want to have a little beer and you like a little bit of a kind of a uh, like I said to you an IPA like an Ailey feel to it as well so that's definitely the one so I've been on that on and off throughout the holidays as well and and I do mix and match it with you know either having you know a brutal punk IPA as well or whether or not it's going to be a Camden or something a little bit kind of fruity as well the one actually that I've been really um impressed with is uh, if you go down to Aldi, they've got this range of beers, and I might have talked about it before on the podcast. I've got a range of beers, which is their kind of um, their clubbing range, I think it is. And uh, they've got Studio Forty Five, which is really nice, an IPA, and then they've got Warehouse Beer as well. And I think they've also got a Hacienda Beer as well, which harks back to the the Manchester Club from the eighties, which I used to go to quite a lot. Um, but that is definitely worth checking out. So I flip between me alcoholic. Uh, and the non-alcoholic and, and and a few sort of kind of like, you know, alcoholic beers as well. And also Club Shop Anne, she talked about gin. She just loves her gin and she just she wants to tuck into her gin. So I was just laughing that I actually tucked right in. I thought I went into to Waitrose the other day and I thought, tell you something, let me try something different. And I just end up spending loads of money on this non-alcoholic gin. And I've got it right here. It's called Cedar's Crisp. Right, and I just thought, let me just try it because it's going to be it's distilled non-alcoholic juniper, cucumber, chamomile sort of gin thing. And I got it and it is absolutely rubbish. Right. 
terrible. It tastes like water, right? With a little bit of sort of cucumber in it. And it was like so, about 20 quid. But say how much you pay for that shit. 20 quid, you know what I'm saying? Seedlip, <laughs> you know, it's not too bad if you, if, you, if you like your non-alcoholic stuff. And that's all right. That's 22 quid, you know. So there's a bit of people cashing on the fact that people are thinking, I want to have a drink, but not have a drink. But, you know, I think there's, <laughs> there's a barrier to it. Like, you know, and this is honestly, I just, you know, I've tried to throw stuff in it to, and you end up probably putting alcohol in it to try and make it taste better, which actually goes against the flow. So, uh, so there you go. So like I said to you, don't, don't, don't go with, you know, just, just watch yourself. If you're going down that road, you, there's you definitely some that you should go for and some that you shouldn't do. It just reminds me of the Harry Enfield sketch bill with like seeing you coming. <laughs> I think they definitely <laughs> they did see me coming. There's posters on there like, you know, so sort of, they got on the tannoy as I got into the shop, like, you know what I'm saying? They thought they thought they'll just put it on the on the counter as I'm gonna be checking out so that I'll uh, pick up a few extra bits and pieces <laughs> along with the nuts extra, and everything. Extra few bits of nonsense. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So thanks for checking out this podcast. It's a two-part podcast. This is part one. You can also check out part two on prideofwest.london. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.